1 Corinthians 2. We're going to be looking tonight at verses 1 through 5. We're, we're in the middle of Paul's exercise here of putting the wisdom of God up against the wisdom of man. We understand he's using it as a tactic to make his larger point regarding the division in this church. But he writes beginning here in chapter 2 a reminder of how he preached to the Corinthians when he first established the church there. And his point overarching here is that he did not do this in his own power. He didn't do this in his own wisdom. The work of all these lives being transformed was by God. Furthermore, Paul writes here that he purposely didn't do anything to have them trusting in Paul. This was not his goal, and he wanted to make sure that they didn't accidentally do that indirectly. So let's read together as we consider what Paul has to say here. In this debate that he's proposing against the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look to your word tonight. Help us to grow thereby. Holy Spirit, work among us that we might be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you put us into ministry, and I pray that you would help us to learn in your word, to be edified, to grow, and to always be busy being doers of the word. Thank you for this time of hearing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pratt writes here of Paul's approach in these first five verses that he says, instead of employing Rhetoric or logic, he had focused his attention on the central message of Christ's Christ's death. And that's exactly what Paul states here. As he writes to the Corinthian church, says to them, I didn't come to you in my own wisdom. I didn't come to you in my own wit. I didn't come to you in my own methods. But I came to you just simply preaching Jesus Christ crucified. So I want us to continue tonight in this God's wisdom versus worldly wisdom with three headings from these five verses, considering first what Paul preached, considering second how Paul preached, and then considering third why Paul preached in this way. And all in all, I want you to see with me from these five verses, Paul's again affirming God's wisdom above worldly wisdom. There was no need for this church here to be having divisions over men. They were transformed and they were brought together by God alone. But still, he's having to write to them and address. Some of you say, I'm of Apollos, and some of you say, I'm of Paul. And this ought not be characteristic of God's church in this area. So in verses 1 and 2, let's consider together what Paul preached. And he says simply in verse number 1 that he preached to them the testimony of God. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Unlike those who had 
divided the Corinthian church on the basis of human arrogance and eloquence. Paul had simply announced the testimony about God. He preached the gospel to them. He told them what God had done in Christ for them. He didn't come to them with excellency of speech. He didn't come to them with man's wisdom. He did not arrive in Corinth as some noted philosopher. He didn't come to them trying to convince them of his ability to communicate as they would. And these were the Greeks, right? They, they paraded these things. But Paul didn't come to them with his, 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 his noted rhetoric. This was not his point. This was not what he was after here. He came not in man's wisdom. Just not to say preaching must be done poorly or in a dull manner. Wearsby says Paul is not telling ministers deliberately to preach poorly or to avoid using the gifts God gave them. Men like Charles Spurgeon or George Whitfield were gifted orators whose words carried power, but they did not depend on their natural talents. They trusted the Spirit of God to work in the hearts of their hearers, and he did. Charles Hodge said, Paul does not mean to say merely that he did not declare the testimony of God in a rhetorical or philosophical manner, but that what he declared was not the wisdom of men, but the revelation of God. Surely Paul used, and God used through him, all the gifts that he had been blessed with and those that he had cultivated over time. We know about Paul's uh, lineage and his upbringing and his education. But in the end, his point is to the Corinthians here, he trusted the Holy Spirit to sway them and not himself so that their faith, faith would rest in God and not in Paul. Wearsby illustrates this well with a story that I found comical. He said a certain church had a beautiful stained glass window just behind the pulpit. Reminds me of another church. It depicted Jesus Christ on the cross. One Sunday, there was a guest preacher who was much smaller than the regular pastor. And the little girl whispered to her mom after hearing him preach for a while, where's that man who usually stands there so we can't see Jesus? (laughs) That makes a great point, doesn't it? Too many preachers of the word so magnify themselves and their gifts that they fail to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul gloried in the cross of Christ, and he made it the center of his message. My pastor would always tell the story, and I don't remember the two preachers, but one was a noted scholar, and they said people would always leave after hearing him preach. My, my, what a preacher. But they said there was another preacher in the same town that someone noted one time. You didn't say that when you left. You usually left saying, my, what a savior. This is certainly what Paul's point is in his writing to the Corinthian church. He said, I didn't come to you with wisdom of words. I didn't come with you with excellency of speech. I came to you with God's wisdom. I came with you to you teaching you the testimony of God. Now, if you're not familiar with the last few verses of chapter 1, we've been in those the last couple of weeks, he says things like, God at his weakest is stronger than man at his strongest. God at his most foolish is still wiser than man at his wisest. We understand that that's just making examples. God is never weak and God is not foolish. We, we, We know that. God used the foolish things to confound the wise. He chose the weak things to confound the things which are mighty. And Paul's just building upon that here along the same idea. 
So first, in verse number one, what did Paul preach? Well, he preached to them the testimony of God. Then in verse number two, he takes that a step further. What is the testimony of Christ? Well, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I didn't come to you in man's wisdom. I came to you in God's wisdom. And though this doesn't seem attractive, it is what God wanted me to preach. And to you Corinthians, remember how it transformed your life. This is what Paul is saying here. So I came preaching to you the testimony of God. Well, that's not very controversial. But then to take that further and say, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified, that takes this to another level. You could go to any random person and say, I want to talk to you about the testimony of my God. Most people would have that conversation with you. And they might want to tell you about the testimony of their God. But if you went to them and said, I want to tell you how my God came to earth, never sinned, but we beat him half to death, then nailed him to a cross, and he bled to death so I could be redeemed. Most people don't want to hear that. Especially people in the time, the day and age, where that type of death was the most horrendous, but also the most embarrassing type of death that a person could die. Well, this, Paul says, is all I determined to teach you. Jesus Christ crucified. MacArthur notes here, Though Paul expounded the whole counsel of God to the church and taught the Corinthians the word of God, the focus of his preaching and teaching to unbelievers was Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for sin on the cross. Point being, until someone understands and believes the gospel, there is nothing more to say to them. The preaching of the cross was so dominant in the early church that believers were accused of worshiping dead men. So that's important for us to note in our own day and age where most of us have, as adults in the church have lived through the time where we've seen publishers try to remove all the bloody hymns from the hymn books. Sadly. Paul was determined to make Jesus, specifically the crucifixion of Jesus, the center of his preaching. The crucifixion as the way of salvation was the most offensive part of the gospel. It's still the most offensive part of the gospel. It doesn't come up much in your typical evangelistic crusade. It's your life could be different. You can have real change. Well, what should I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did I just did I did I preach false to you right then? Everything I said was actually true. Anybody here say I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and my life has never has not been changed one bit whatsoever? No, everything I said to you was true. But was it the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help us God. No, it wasn't. Your life is not dramatically changed because you found out about this being and you put all your trust into them. Your life was dramatically changed because the being, the one true God, was going to kill you and put you in hell, but his son died on a cross and shed blood to atone the wrath of that God. So now that God says, if you're in my son and my son's in you, I won't put you in hell for it. That's the true gospel. That's controversial. Those of you who don't like controversy, that bugs you. Those of you who love a good controversy, you're like, yeah, some juice. The crucifixion opposed the human arrogance of the Jews and the Gentiles in Paul's day. But the person and the work of Christ was still the power of God unto salvation. 
So this is God's wisdom, which Paul is preaching to the Corinthians there in this church. That's why he can say, verse 26 of chapter 1, You see your calling, brethren. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Why? Because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things to confound the things which are mighty. The base things and the things which are the spies hath God chosen. Yea, and things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. This is what Paul preached. Verse 3 and 4, we see how Paul preached. Verse 3 says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's how Paul preached, in weakness and in fear. Based off what we know from the Acts of the Apostles, Paul was well educated. He was able to speak with authority, even convincingly, given his background, given the role that he played in the secular world. Then we have this Damascus Road experience for Paul where Jesus knocks him off his horse, literally, and blinds him, and then puts him into ministry and says, this is what you're going to do for me. Even unto going to jail and dying for me, this is what you're going to do for me. Sends him off to seminary for three years in the Arabian desert. And Paul comes out, and boy, he's just, went in Saul, came out Paul, and he's working for the Lord with this apostolic authority. So if he wanted to come in, Speaking with authority. He could have come in speaking with authority. But he says to the Corinthians, who had just finished saying to themselves, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, chapter 1, verse 12. I of Cephas, I of Christ. And he's having to write to them and say, what are you doing? Is Christ divided? Surely he's not. So he reminds this group, he says, when I first came to you, before there was a Corinthian church, Before you were greatly blessed with all of these spiritual gifts. And we're going to get to those spiritual gifts here in just a little bit. And it's amazing some of the things that were happening in this Corinthian church. But Paul's having to write to them on on the basic things. Like that old Vince Lombardi story. You know, his team was doing horrible. He's a famous football coach, Green Bay Packers. His team was doing horrible. But these are professionals, right? They don't need to know... They know fundamentals. They've got to have to work on something specific. But he walks into them at halftime and he holds the ball up and he says, Now, men, this is a football. (laughs) What a wonderful thing, right? This is kind of what Paul's doing to the Corinthian church. Church, this is Jesus. He was crucified for you. Hey, bring that over to our church now. Got this side over here. Who wants to sit in the round back chairs? you got this side over here. Who wants to sit in the square back chairs? This side's got their arms crossed and they're mad. And this side's over here. They're pointing fingers at that side and sticking their tongue out. And boy, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to figure this thing out. And hopefully somebody will apologize and then we can hug and we can make up and go to Shoney's afterwards. People don't do that anymore. When I was a kid, you went to Shoney's after church. But what was it? Shoney's, Dairy Queen. Yeah. Paul, Paul says to that, we're not even addressing that. Paul's not saying to them, wait, 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 wait. Some of you say you're a Paul, some of you say you're Paul, some of you say you're Cephas, and you're divided over this. Let's be clear. These ones of you are of me, and these ones of you are of He doesn't do that. 
He says, wait, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. I came to you in much trembling. He reminds them that when he came to them, his demeanor was not impressive. Now, I I, I read this and I think Paul is saying here, I did this purposefully so that I could rely upon the Holy Spirit instead of myself. That's what he says in verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. But MacArthur does give a different point of view here. So since I'm different than MacArthur, I'm at least going to give you MacArthur. Even though I'm right, I'll let you know what the person who's wrong said, right? That was full-on tongue-in-cheek there. He writes, Paul came to Corinth after being beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, run out of Thessalonica and Berea, and scoffed at in Athens. So he may have been physically weak, but in that weakness he was most powerful. There were no theatrics or techniques to manipulate people's response. His fear and shaking were because of the seriousness of his mission. That's a good take on the historical context there. Paul's point, though, is he was an example of God using weak things to confound the mighty, which we just read in verse 27. He was an apostle, but he comes to them as God's humble servant. He didn't come depending upon himself. In fact, like John the Baptist, he had emptied himself for the sake of Christ. John the Baptist's motto was, he must increase and I must decrease. There's got to be less of me so there can be more of him. And Paul fully lived this way. He's going to later explain this to him. Look at chapter 12, verse number 10. Now, in this instance, he's talking about something different. But this same type of mentality is there. It's 2 Corinthians. Hopefully. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he says... Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, there's the key. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says here in verse 3, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you in much trembling. Then in verse 4, he gives the reason. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I want to get down to of the Spirit's power there, and of the Spirit and of power. But let's not skip over this. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Now, I, I always, when I'm working with preachers, or guys who want to preach or even teach, it was worked on me this way. I mean, I go off to conferences and they work with us who are pastors and preachers in the churches that the churches have sent to these conferences. This is always a, a reminded thing, but I think it's important that we even remember it just as people who make up the church, who are being evangelistic in our day-to-day living, who are being the, this, the disciples of our homes, who are doing all of these things, that we must not rely upon our own wit. We're not careful. We begin to rely upon our own wit, our own wisdom, our own talents. 
you can get up in front of a group and you can, I'm guilty of this myself often, you can start relying upon your comedic appeal. You are supposed to laugh and cheer there because I'm such a good comedian, right? Preaching never fails, I'll do stand up. Knock, knock. (laughs) Paul says, this is not it. It was not me enticing words, enticing men with my own words and, and my own wisdom. Boy, oh boy, do we ever see that as we look throughout church history. When you watch these, I won't call them the great movements. I'm going to call them the minor movements. The little mini crusades, the little mini revivals. Not the ones that are put down into the scholarly church history books, but the ones that are maybe reported about on TV, or the ones that make the news, or the ones that maybe you've lived and seen them in your own life. What was really going on there? Was this the Holy Spirit of God changing a group of people for a time in a community or a culture? Or was was this a gifted communicator who used enticing words to produce man-made, man-visible results that people paraded and said, that's great, good job. Paul says, I didn't come doing that. Very easy for us to be attracted to that, to be magnetized to that, to see the physical things happening and saying, well, this must be of God, especially in America, because what's our motto? What makes it better? Bigger. Bigger is better. I had an SUV, but then I had to get a Suburban. It was larger. If they ever come out with a Suburban XL, I'm going to have to get one. It's bigger. It's got to be better, right? Heck with the fuel economy. Scotty's got a Honda Accord. He was sitting in my Suburban today, and I had the, had the engine on because I wanted the air to run because I'm bigger, too, and I needed the, the conditioning. Bugging him to no end. His Honda Accord that gets 99 miles to the gallon and my Suburban that gets 3 miles to the gallon. He finally stopped me in the middle of a conversation and said, man, turn that engine off. (laughs) There was a time in Baptist churches not too long ago where you became a noted preacher given the size of the altar call. Number of people you could get to come forward. And you must have been doing a good thing. God must be blessing. You can control that two ways. Number one, the easiest way to control that, be offensive here, but I can't think of a nicer way to say this, but is the, the cognitive level of your audience. Dumber the people are, the easier they are to manipulate, right? Let me say that in a less offensive way. I used to do children's ministry. Guess what percentage of children I could get to walk an aisle versus the percentage of adults? 100% of the kids, maybe 10% of the adults. They're just, cognitively, they're not there yet. And then a gifted communicator, who typically would at least be intellectually smarter than everyone else in the crowd, could say just the right things. And you've sat through some of this. And I'm not good at this. I don't want to be, but I'll give you some examples of this. Whatever they preached on, you know. It, you know. And then turn that around on you and say, those of you staying in your seats tonight, right? Do you not care that people are going to hell? Well, then what does that make you want to do? 
Well, yeah, I care that people are going to hell, so I don't want to stay in my seat. When I was a little boy, dad ran tent ministry, and I would, pay, I would you, you know, you'd bow your head and close your eyes. Well, I had gone to enough tent meetings that I had seen it all, and I wasn't afraid to peek. Maybe you weren't either, but early on I was afraid to peek. But after going to church every day of my life for many, many years, you kind of got used to things. And my job was to fill the generator with gas mid-tent service. And you couldn't let the engine go off, so you had to make sure you didn't spill the gas on the muffler or the thing would blow up. And I'm 10 years old, you know. So I had to watch. When the lights flickered, that meant the generator was about to go out, so I had to go put gas in it, so I had to watch anyways. And Dad had all, you know, all different kinds of guys, but always, they'd always want to help Brother Danny with the tent meeting, which meant they wanted to come preach and get a love offering. And that's all right. But I would watch some of these guys, and they would do the, let's have every bed bowed and every eyes closed, no one looking around, but I would be looking around. And I was a little boy, and nobody knew the difference. And I caught a guy one time, and then I started paying attention to this, and I started catching a lot of people do this. If you're here tonight, and something in this sermon has spoken to your heart, would you just raise your hand tonight? Well, nobody raised their hand. And I thought, well, it didn't help me either. I didn't like his sermon, so I wasn't raising my hand. But all of a sudden, I heard the guy on the microphone said, I see those hands. And I said, wait, nobody raised their hand. I didn't say that out loud. I probably should have. But it might have made a difference in this guy's life if a, a, an ignorant 10-year-old would have said, nobody raised their hand. All right, let me get off my soapbox. Paul said, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. Does the world really need to know what we have to say? They need to hear from the Holy Spirit. They're going to do that when we use the word. R.C. Sproul presents this best. He says, self-confidence, if it rests on arrogance concerning one's own strength, reflects a desire to be independent from God. Paul had learned that God could use human weakness to show forth his own glory because he knew that men and women will be convinced of the gospel only in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul used his talents and training with a full and proper confidence in God rather than relying on his own skills. Paul's human weakness made it evident that he had relied on the demonstration of the Spirit's power. That term here that we find in the English as demonstration in verse number 4. He says, I didn't come to you with my speech and my preaching, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. It's a great uh, Greek word. In fact, I, it's so great I forgot to write it down to give it to you tonight. But uh, you can look it up later. But I'm going to define it for you here. It was a technical term that described irrefutable evidence offered in court. Now, if you know anything about court, as I do from my vast experience watching the Perry Mason show, I actually learned recently, I don't know if you know this penny, She's all, we're also, we're together Perry Mason fans and John Grisham fans. We have a lot in common, Penny. Um, evidently, most of the, everything that happened on Perry Mason was not the way it really goes in real life in court. I didn't know this, so. But I still watch it. I mean, when you like Della Street, you like Della Street. What can I say, right? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I got an amen out of somebody there. See those hands? But in court... It is very difficult to be able to offer irrefutable evidence. Very, very difficult to be able to do this. And that's what Paul is saying here. 
He says, this wasn't my speech. This wasn't my preaching. This was not my enticing words. This was not man's wisdom. This was irrefutable evidence offered in court. It was a demonstration. It was God's wisdom of the Spirit and of power. Paul's preaching had the support of the Holy Spirit's transforming power in the Corinthians' lives. When the Corinthians believed in Jesus Christ, they received many powerful demonstrations of the Spirit's work among them. This was part of that irrefutable proof. And all of this was even though Paul's preaching initially to them lacked sophistication, it lacked human wisdom. Now remember, we're not saying that all of Paul's ministry in Corinth lacked any human wisdom or any sophistication or any, let me just say it this way, any depth. Paul preached to them the full depth of the riches of the doctrines of God that he knew about. But initially when he came to them, he preached Christ crucified only, he says here. Though it initially lacked the sophistication, the Spirit manifested Himself through His preaching and proved that it did not lack the Holy Spirit's power. Paul was dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not his experience, it was not his ability that gave his ministry its power. It was the work of the Spirit of God. Remember I told you recently that Preachers speak, you know, you meet a couple guys at the Waffle House for lunch, and if you don't know one of those guys, one of the first few things you say is, well, where'd you go to school? Right? That's important, because you want to know if they're like you or they're not like you. Well, I went to Oral Roberts. Oh, I'm going to go eat at Popeye's. I don't want to eat with you at the Waffle House, right? This was kind of the thing. Well, what, what we're doing there is we're, we're lining up experience, we're lining up education, we're lining up our shared values. What we probably should be doing there is saying, hey, I'm Chance, what's your name? Oh, your name's Bob. Bob, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you led of the Spirit? Bob, have you prayed today? How much scripture have you read before we came to breakfast this morning? Because all of that's really going to control how this meeting over this food's going to go. But is that usually what we want to know? I'm in my third, third paid ministry position, meaning the third church. I was a youth pastor at my church in Georgia for six or seven years. I was pulpit filler at a church in Virginia for about a year, year and a half. And then I was pastor here since then. Since 2011, started in 2011. And how many times I've ever been asked by anyone in any of those ministries and leadership before they let me be the guy up here if I was full of the Holy Spirit? Zero times. You ever been asked that, Brother Hartzer, by anyone in leadership at a church? Brother Scotty? Both you guys are ordained, ordained ministers. Never been asked that. Could be a problem. Wearsby says here, just as a finality to this verse, as we talk about the demonstration of the Spirit and the power, Paul's preaching was a demonstration, not a performance. Remember the Greek word and the, the, the understanding, irrefutable evidence. It was a demonstration, it was not a performance. So this is what Paul preached, this is why, why he, or how he preached. Why did he preach this way? Verse 5. And it's a good why. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. So that faith would not be in man's wisdom. I'm going to be careful when I say this, and I don't want you to misunderstand me or misassociate what I mean. I don't want to be, I'm not insulting the man here. But how many people go through life, and the best they can tell you about their salvation is, yeah, I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. What does that mean? Maybe, that's, maybe some of you, that's your testimony. Or maybe some of you are saying, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't mine. I got saved under the ministry of Brother So-and-so. Maybe that's what you're saying about me. You know, I've heard that before. Chance saved me. The good Billy, actually, the, thank you, Lord. I was feeling guilty insulting Billy Graham. I don't mean to insult Billy Graham. But I got a good, a good illustration from Billy Graham himself in that regard. He was on an airplane and a man got drunk. Have you heard this story? And the guy was just going crazy. He pinched the stewardess's rear end there, you know, and she smacked him. And they had to calm him down. And he looked around. He saw Billy Graham there. And he said, hey, you're Billy Graham. I'm one of your converts. <laughs> perfect, perfect reply here. Billy Graham said, you probably are one of my converts, but you're definitely not one of Jesus's. You shall know them by their fruits. That's the point. Why did Paul preach this way? So that their faith would not be in Paul's wisdom or Apollos' wisdom or Cephas' wisdom or Billy Graham's wisdom. It says at the end of the verse there, but in the power of God, so that their faith would be in the power of God. Maybe you're struggling with that tonight. Maybe that's a thing for you. You can't decide if you're saved or if you're not. You can't decide if you should get baptized. You don't know if you're saved or not. You believe the Bible. You believe in Jesus. You feel, oh, I'm coming, you're at church, that's a plus, right? Or you're tuned in to the camera back there. But where's your faith resting? Is it in the power of God? Your faith is in the power of God and God's power is transforming your life. Well, you should be baptized. And you should join up with a local church and be an active part. But if your faith is in man's wisdom, if the best you could come up with when your faith is questioned or when your faith is tried or when it's time to testify of your faith to someone who is lost is, well, maybe you ought to go talk to Chance. Or maybe you ought to go talk to Billy Graham. Or maybe you ought to go talk to, and here I'm going to get on Chance here just a little bit, John MacArthur because he knows everything about the Bible evidently. That's a huge problem, isn't it? Why did Paul preach this way? So that faith would not be in man's wisdom. He wanted him to trust in God and not in God's messenger. Corinthians, where a culture well-versed in man's wisdom, they knew all too well how to get behind their guy. You know, we celebrate our athletes. Well, they celebrated their philosophers. Paul came at them differently, and the Holy Spirit worked miraculously in their lives. And now with divisions going, going on among them, causing them to go back to the way that they were initially, getting behind their guy, Paul reminds them of their beginnings. And he's reteaching them here that God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. Man's wisdom filled your brain, but God's wisdom transformed your entire life. 
Well, church, we must never forget. Christianity is fundamentally opposed to all of the world's beliefs, all of the world's values, all of this world's standards. Fundamentally opposed. But God chooses people whom the world considers weak and whom the world considers foolish in his system that is fundamentally opposed to the world's wisdom. And this all happens by the gospel, which is divinely powerful to convert the lost without resorting to arguments from worldly wisdom. That's your evangelism strategy. I'm going to try to get on their level and convince them that they're wrong so they'll need what I've got, which is right. I don't know there's a lot of that that goes on in Christianity. and Some of these apologists are smarter than me, and I could never figure out some of the stuff they talk about. But when all is said and done, Jesus was clear on evangelism strategies and defense of the faith. No man can come unto me except my Father which has sent me draw him. Paul started his first letter here with multiple references to that drawing. You've been called. You've been summoned. You are required to appear and participate, Paul says. Jesus said. This happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter what the world says about our beliefs as Christians, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can rest assured that the gospel is true. It is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for time together in your word. Help us to consider tonight in our own church, in our own homes, in our own personal lives. What we see from Paul here, he was clear on what he preached and how he preached and why he was this way about it. So let us learn and be this way in our own lives. Fully rely upon your Holy Spirit. Fully your word alone and your wisdom from your word alone and not our own. Help us to never think that it's through our own efforts that your purposes are accomplished. But it's through what you allow us to do with your empowering in us and through us that these purposes are fulfilled. Thank you for letting us just be a small part. Forgive us for our own self-reliance. Forgive us for our self-confidence in these matters. Forgive us for our pride. and Help us to be filled with your spirit and doers of the word. This we pray in Jesus' name.